We are here for another Lean and Mean episode. Yes, it's mean because the cutting truth is here. You may not like to hear what we have to say, but it is the truth about scaling your tech business. If you want to do better, you have to do things differently than you were before. We are here with Matt Daniel, founder of Hello Process, which I love because Hello Process, <laughs> that's a central core thing to what we do. Thanks for being here, Matt. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jason. That's exactly the reason I created it, because a lot of us run blind without a process, and all of a sudden we realize we need one. That's right. So tell me about your business and what problem that you are solving. What's the core thing? So I primarily service third-party Amazon sellers at the moment. So these guys, they, they bought into a business opportunity. It is a super legitimate opportunity. I've, I've seen sellers make Oh, $7 million a month. I mean, this is a real business opportunity, but they have no idea where they're headed as a business. They get in and they want to start making money and they start selling things. Then all of a sudden they get buried in work. And that's, that's basically where I come in. That was my story for a long time. You know, at one point, you know, in the first six months of my business, I launched 79 different products and got buried and had to get out from under it. And so I started building processes around it. Instantly, once I got employees working for me that were really implementing at a high level, my workload went down three to four hours a day, overnight. And I never looked back. And you know, the income continued to go up and that changed my life. So that's why I started doing processes. And so people end up needing processes. They end up needing my services whenever they basically don't have enough time in the day to complete the work that they have. And they get super frustrated that they can't just put their foot on the gas pedal and continue you know, increasing their revenues year or actually month over month. It's really what happens. And so when they find me, it really doesn't take a lot of explanation. <laughs> Because well, they're already experiencing a lot of pain. That's great. That is the great indicator right there. So if yeah. you're feeling all these stoplights and exhaustion and overwhelm and your calendar's too full, and I've been there. <laughs> well, yeah, we've all been there, right? I, it, it, yeah, it's time to talk to Matt here. Don't talk to me. Not yet. <laughs> After you talk to Matt, then come and talk to me because you're going to probably need some help with those processes that he helps you figure out. Okay. Now I've talked with Matt a little bit before and I really like how sharp he is. He is a no BS kind of guy. Uh, and in fact, even going through the little kind of back and forth we do to set up this episode, he was one of just two guests who stopped me in my tracks and said, no, no, wait a minute. What about this, 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 and this? And we literally went through every question because he is asking great questions about what does this mean? Why are we doing this? Right? Not just blindly accepting whatever is put in front of him. So I think that's very valuable. Okay, what kinds of tasks should founders not be doing as they're scaling? Well, you know, that's, that's a, I, I, it's funny, I get asked that question a lot. And here's a simple way to answer it. If you can put a dollar amount on this task that is something that is less than your worth, that mm -hmm. is something you should get rid of. But people don't understand what they're worth, that's the problem. Mm -hmm. And so let me just give you an example, customer service. Anything that's not gonna make you money, that you have to do, probably doesn't have a super high dollar per hour uh, assigned to it. So that needs to go first. Anything that's easy, that you can explain to somebody, it's easy to explain, easy to understand, and it's 10, 15, 20, maybe $30 an hour, maybe up to $100 an hour, it's worth your time and effort and energy to get, get it off your plate. Because at the end of the day, as the CEO, which you should be, and you're the, you know, the marketing expert, you're, you know, you're a lot of things when you start out your company, but you're bringing in the money. You should eventually be making $1,000 an hour for what you do. Easy. I mean, this is not like pie in the sky. This is not 10 years from now. This is really in the next six months. And if you're not, you've got to look at why. You're probably too busy doing things that are never going to pay you 1000 bucks an hour. And while you do those things, the opportunity costs are high because you can never 
get to $1,000 an hour when you fill your calendar and your day up with $10 an hour tasks. Makes sense. I love how you brought up the question behind the question, <laughs> which was not what tasks should people be doing, but you know, what, what is the measuring tool? What do we use as the dividing line for, okay, somebody else should be doing this. Now, how do you help, do you help founders who are having trouble letting go and delegating? Well, <clears throat> sometimes it does take a quick kick in the balls. I'll just be honest with you. I, I do have, you know, male and female clients, but at the end of the day, I'm real. And so part of, part of my job when I bring a client on is to coach them through this, this process because it is a process of letting go of control. Hmm. You, still, you still exert your control and, you know, with quality assurance and stuff like that, but it's a big, big transition from doing everything to feeling like you are the one that knows everything. You're the best one to do this work, right? We've been there. It's like, oh, if I give it away, they're not, they're not gonna do it as good. Well, you have to understand that maybe that's true. It probably isn't, but what if it is? What's the worst that's going to happen? You're still going to grow your company because companies aren't grown on perfection. They're grown on output. And mm -hmm. it just takes a little bit to get, you know, clients to understand that. But after they understand the value of letting it go and, you know, making them do it a few times and, you know, the world didn't cave in and their business didn't implode. Now, now they can, they can get the hang of this. Now they see that, oh, I have more time in the day. You know, somebody can do this 85% as good as me. Sometimes in a lot of cases, they can do it better than me. It's, and it's, a, it's a really awesome surprise when people get in get into it to find that other people are better suited to certain things right. uh, than they are. Because I don't know about you, but I'm pretty much an invalid in a lot of areas mm -hmm. in my life because I'm really good at certain things and I'm really bad at others. And I don't want to be good mm -hmm. at you know, things that aren't going to pay me very well. And you know, the cool thing is there's somebody in this world right now that loves to do that thing you don't want to do. Like accounting for yeah. one, I hate it. Yeah. I don't want to deal with it. <laughs> I don't want to touch it, right? There's people that get up and they just love it. They, they, they just they, they get happy thinking about numbers. Right, right. Yeah. And I'll add my own experience to that where I just didn't want to delegate anything because I felt uh, my clients hired me for the, the weird makeup that I've got, you know, and my unique right. sol solving problem ability, whatnot, perspective. And wow, once I started to let go of that and kind of you write down the 11 secret herbs and spices that make you do and get the output <laughs> that you get, right? But you give that to somebody else and say, okay, apply what you do through this filter, this lens, and they will come up with 115% better solution than you a lot of the time. And let me tell you, the first time you experience that, it is a delight. It is like, whoa, wow, <laughs> wow. This I never knew that existed fun. before. Yeah. yeah, my, my uh, in the last business that I ran, uh, I had a co-founder, and we brought on an operations director uh, because because she came to us and just like it was like opening a folder for branded mini courses was what it was co-branded mini courses for us to expand our knowledge and kind of brand it with somebody else's uh, who was compatible and expand our market share that way with great lead magnets right and she had like this whole five-page process just ding there it is and i was like oh, i don't have to make that thing that is so awesome what else can yeah. you do for us right and so it was a very easy decision to bring her on board so Great. I, I know from, again, from talking with you before that you have a history of working in the railway industry. And that I imagine is a very, I, I've wanted to work in it myself. So I'm a yeah. sucker for it. 
uh, with my operations management background. I, I really wanted to be a transportation management trainee in the, in the late 90s, um, where, where you get on board trains and you literally ride around everywhere for like six months to a year doing all yep. the jobs. And it's, it's kind of a high C in the disc profile culture, right, where stuff has to be done in a certain order or else yep. something horrible is going to happen. Uh, but, you know, you, yeah. somebody's going to get rolled over or a, a yeah. whole and, and there's no tolerance for deviation over. either mm -hmm. for that because the stakes are so, so much higher when you own the railroad industry. There's no band. There's a saying there's no band-aids on the railroad. Right. And, and I mean, when it happens, when something bad happens, it's a news story, right? These, these yeah. 18 cars fell over and flooded fuel oil or something into the local water supply or something. Yeah, totally. You have to be super careful. So tell us a little bit about that as a training ground for just experiences that you were involved with, stuff bouncing off you, I guess. And Yeah, so, you know, as far as the disc profile, I'm glad you brought up the C. I, as far as C goes, I think that's my last one mm -hmm. on the disc profile. I'm high D, high I. Hmm. Like they're both, depending on what month I take this thing, yeah. um, D's higher or I's higher. You know, at one point, I was 100% D, which is not a good place to be because when you're a driver, you just really just kind of frustrate your employees. But mm -hmm. One of the things I learned, though, from the railroad environment is that you have to be a driver. If you want things done, especially in transportation, you can't necessarily outsource or automate that to a lot of, lot of degree. Like, you can outsource it, but you can't automate it because there has to be somebody touching things at every step, you know, every time it moves. And uh, so I actually have, I have a very kind of a weird um, history with the railroad. I mean, I worked in, I think it was nine different departments, hmm. right? I started counting one day. I was like, it's, it's, it's at least eight. I don't know if this last one counted because I was only there for like a couple hours. But anyway. Um, <laughs> this isn't for me. <laughs> yeah. So I, I would pretty much excel at most of the stuff until I got hit with a job that I didn't. And it just dawned on me in one day that, you know, I'm a high D, I'm a high I, and they need a C. Like, I didn't understand what that was at the time, but I just knew that I wasn't what they wanted. And I'm an entrepreneur. And so that's why I eventually left. But I was there for almost 14 years. And it was a great learning experience because you learn about processes and stuff, which on the railroad is kind of weird. They don't actually have uh, everything written down. Like if it's the safety book mm -hmm. and, the, and outside, if you're in the field, they have everything written down because they can't take anything to chance. Because like you said, if anything happens, man, somebody's really probably like, they're not going to have a band-aid. They're going to be in the hospital if they're lucky, yeah. you know, instead of the morgue. Uh, but inside the office, they didn't have manuals. I had to go create mm -hmm. my own. I was always doing that. I was always just trying to figure out a way I can shortcut my involvement in things that need, that need that C because compliant people can do things over and over and over and over again and be happy. I can't. Right. Right. So one of the, so I, I learned about your, I learned about um, your red team experience and I was laughing because when I was working on the road, I worked in one of the, at one point, the freight claims department. And so this guy that was a few offices down, he dealt with salvage. And so what happens, a rail car spills over and, you know, you're the owner of that, of those goods. And you know, the railroad's like, Oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. Here's a check. I hope it makes you happy. Right. And then they take those goods and then they, uh, you know, they salvage it. They try to, you know, sell it to the highest bidder. Okay. So well, we got, I'm sure there's an insurance agency in there somehow too. Well, they they were self, self-insured. Ah, okay. It's cheaper that way. I don't know yeah. why, but it is right. When you have that much money, they only make $30 million a single day. Right. So they, they can afford that. <laughs> so the guy that was in charge of salvage <laughs> I mean, I knew the guy. I worked in the gym with the guy. Like, nobody had any idea that he was literally telling, you know, these, these vendors that were buying railroad property, they were giving them his bank account and not the company's bank account for years. 
and nobody caught it. And all of a sudden, Jerry wasn't at work one day. <laughs> Jerry was in jail, and it was on the news. And it was something like a quarter million dollars. And although we were like, dude, come on, in hindsight, it makes sense, because he had three different brand new cars in the past six months. Hmm. And he's only making like $65,000 a year. I mean, come on now, like, right. how is this possible? <laughs> you kind of need to control yourself there. It's like those, those uh, mafia movies where they do the big heist and then somebody's <laughs> got to go out and blow their their take on uh yeah you know, crazy things furs and cars and stuff like that so when i when i saw your red team experience i started laughing because i was like dude this is 100 percent true that there's mm -hmm. always somebody there that's going to game the system always somebody that's going to um if there's an opportunity for them to get by with stealing something somebody will take it at some point yeah, I, I feel like I should grow a mustache, a cop mustache, <laughs> to help the uh, the imagery there. But boy, there are scams going on all the time. And you would think in in that situation that the matching principle would come in in the accounting department, and eventually they would go, "Wow, goods value of salvaged goods is going out of the company, and we're not receiving anything in exchange for it." Right? But I guess there's just so much going on that nobody can look at every single transaction or even a category of transactions, I guess. Yeah. I mean, think about this, when it gets so big, I mean, $30 million a day, every single day coming in. There's a lot of transactions going on. And I mean, so I actually worked in, the, in, the, in one of the billing departments at some point, and it's like, dude, I don't even know how to keep track of this stuff, right? It's insane, the amount of complexity when you get, when you get big. So even accounting departments can use <laughs> some process design and some feedback loops. Is totally. there anything that you have to share? I mean, feedback loops in, in my life have been the bane of my existence. Like, I know as you grow a company what can happen when a task is assigned to somebody and there might even be a due date and you know that something should be happening, but then something crashes and it's, it's two weeks before you find out about it. And you go, what's wrong? <laughs> We're smart people, right? We should have figured this out. Is there anything that you have learned that you could share? Or is it just, hey, man, this is a struggle? Well, this is a struggle, as you know, and the struggle is very real. My feedback loops that I like, you know, in my company, now granted, my company is always probably going to be coined a small company by the SBA. But, you know, at the end of the day, feedback loops, if you really want to be, I think, super effective, need to happen very often. So we, we basically have meetings every, every week, but we have meetings every day, and there's short meetings. So I like okay. Scrum. I like to know what's going on. What, what's happening in your world today that I can help you with? If, if, you know, so I know before the deadline that something's going wrong or that you don't feel comfortable like, with your piece of it or somebody somewhere has probably seen um, the warning signs. You know, I can't mm -hmm. think of everything. You can't think of everything. But feedback loops are important. But also on top of that, though, I think one of the real key things is – is having, you know, personality traits that you're, you're hiring for like creative problem solvers and people that are paying attention to details because what happens in a lot of big companies is they hire technicians that are good at their job because they can do that job. But then they put them in a role where that's not their core function anymore. Their core mm -hmm. function is now to manage people and to make sure that other things get done, but they're still kind of narrowly focused. And if everybody is narrowly focused on their, their tiny slice of the pie, they can't see, you know, the other things, the big warning lights. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things that I like to do. You know, it's one of the things I also teach people is, you know, I don't care what you do in my company, what I'm hiring you for. If you don't have creative problem solving, even if your job is like a high C, you're just doing the same thing over and over again, you don't get into my company just because I just, I can't be the one to think for you, right? <laughs> you need people that can think for themselves and solve problems. And hopefully, hopefully, 
right? You're, you're not the smartest guy in the room mm. or the smartest guy on the team. I think a lot of founders would like to retain that ego superiority of being the smartest guy in the room. And I've, I've enjoyed giving that up. I'm not a dumb guy, but I enjoy <laughs> having somebody else around who's smarter, who just maybe doesn't want to lead, right? Yeah. Doesn't, want, doesn't, doesn't want to be a founder and loves your idea and wants to maybe a good COO, right? Who wants to expand on that idea for you and help you grow it and blow air into the balloon and expand it in ways that you can't think of. For those who haven't heard of Scrum, I want to really quickly cover that. It's like a kind of a daily meeting where the group, the team is meeting, and then you come in, not as the boss in a way, but as like, a, hey guys, what resources do you not have that I could provide? And what major red lights maybe have you seen that I could help uh, make green again? Are there, are there any other things you'd like to add to that quick little description? No, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. It's also on the flip side. When, when they're in those meetings, your employees are in those meetings, especially if they're new, they, they see you differently. You're not really authoritarian, right? You're there to help. And that helps your relationship with your employees. It helps, in my experience, it helps get the most out of them because they feel more loyal to you because you're helpful. Right. And they're, they're creating the, the goals, basically. Like you, you as the captain of the ship have said, okay, we're going to Hawaii, but exactly how we get there and get around this storm in the middle of the ocean right now. That's up to you guys, right? right? Well, yeah. And so, but I'll, I'll, I will tell you this, uh, you know, because I'm not a high C, it's probably the lowest thing. I've, I have really hard time following directions, right? <laughs> so, I'm not a scrum purist. I take what I really love about it. And then, so a lot of times I'm telling people like, all right, we're going to Hawaii. Here's how I think we're going to get there. Mm -hmm. Right. You tell me <laughs> if it's, you know, if you come up with anything else, I want to know. Right. And I'm, yeah, I'm happy to incorporate that. Totally. As you grow, as your client's company uh, grows, Matt, the the day-to-day -day activities that they're doing are different. They're stepping back from a frontline approach, so they're getting less of that frontline data, right? What do they keep their fingers on the pulse of every day? What do they really need to be looking at? And how do you manage that? so that they don't get too abstracted away. Because we see this a lot in big corporations, right? I mean, I've been, for the last 10 years, I've been talking to vice presidents of business development for organizations who are supposedly in charge of the sales team, but that's way down there. And they'll flat out tell me, I have no idea what the day-to-day -day problems of my sales team are. Right, right. Um, for me, I think one of the solutions is, is having a dashboard that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Because... I mean, you have, you have two challenges, right? The very extreme on one end, you know, when you're not used to giving away work, you don't want to do it. And then when you start to like to do it, you can go to the opposite extreme. And I've been on both right. where now I'm abdicating my responsibility. I'm completely <laughs> blindly trusting you that you're going to take right. care of everything. Right. And then all of a sudden I find out that we're not making any money because my accountant told me, right. Not because, <laughs> which is too late. And so, dashboards that make sense, you know, the important metrics you want to look at, they need to be updated, you know, at least every week. I mean, if not more than that. And so you need to be looking at that. And so the dashboard, basically you've heard the saying, and I, it's actually more of a cliche now, but it's still hundred percent true. You can't manage what you can't measure. Mm -hmm. And so you just need to measure what is important for your company. And, you know, in our case and, and the people that I deal with, we have, we have products that are out there that they'll, they have certain number of sales every day. They have a certain number of visitors and eyeballs on those products, on those listings. Right. Um, you know, each keyword is ranked a certain number. And so we can, we look at that. If, if, if sales drop, we look at, well, why is that? Why is it happening? Are we getting less eyeballs on the listing? Did the, did the rankings drop? If so, 
now we know what we can do. But if we don't have those metrics written down and have somebody checking them and then, you know, putting them in a place where I could check them and the business owner could check them and, you know, whenever we need to, man, this ship is not going to be, <laughs> you're not going to be going for very long in the right direction. It's not going to get to Hawaii. <laughs> no, definitely not. We just talked about something that I hope everybody noticed. If you look at just revenue or sales, you're probably too late. You want to look at leading indicators. Matt, have you been able to find a dashboard software that you like, or do you make a custom one every time in Excel or some other program? Well, in our industry, there's a couple that are imperfect but work. You know, you know, like okay, where so people don't really feel the need to go create a dashboard. I already have one for my company, and I, you know, I offer my clients, hey, we'll make this for you if you need to. And at the end of the day, it's going to be a manual thing, my dashboard, because it's quite more. <laughs> it's got more numbers and more more things I want to pay attention to than the traditional uh, approach, where you know you can go pay, pay, a, pay a software. Um, that's what I like to use. But most people are like, hey, I'm spending ninety seven dollars a month on the software. It gives me enough. You know, mm -hmm. It gives me the same data, but it's, you know, I have to go and kind of, you know, look at it a little bit differently, but it's fine. Okay. So anyway, the, the idea is, you know, again, this is one of the things I love about business. You don't have to have the perfect software. You don't have to have the perfect plan. You don't have to have the perfect people or perfect anything. As long as you are doing the right things more often than not, you're going to succeed at least most of the time. Right. Mm -hmm. And so as long as you have a dashboard that's working, that you're seeing the most important things and you, you, you understand what's really going on in your business. And so one of the things that I add that you can't find in other software is this, like, I want to know how many returns we're getting because mm. we sell physical mm. products. I want to know how many returns we're getting and why are people returning it? Right. So some of these assigns and not only like create this report and check this information, but also to reach out and ask people <laughs> because what they told Amazon and what the reality is might be two different things. And I want to hear mm. from them what it is because when Amazon tells me there's a problem with my listing and my product, it's normally because they shut it down for a temporary amount of time. Mm -hmm. I don't want to know that something's wrong with it when Amazon does. I want to know like right. ahead of time. So before. Yeah. exactly. And I want to know the customers, you know, what kind of problems are people uh, experiencing that we're dealing with customer service on what, you know, so we can, you know, maybe avoid those problems in the future. And, you know, I want to keep my handle at least, or at least my hand or my, you know, my company when I'm focused on, okay, let's, let's stay close to the customer. Because they're the ones that matter. You know, things change in an instant. But if we if we know what the customers really want that we're not delivering, next time we go order that product, we can we can add that thing or uh, we can change our process. We can change our right. approach. Right. And, yeah. Because uh, your problem might be up in the supply chain. Yeah. Totally. You, you don't know yet. It's the stuff's arriving in the box and it looks great, but it's broken inside. Totally. It's interesting what you brought up about what they said to Amazon is not necessarily what they say to you. And that really matches up with what we find when we're doing process engineering projects. They'll send an agent out and they'll start documenting what's going on, interviewing people. And what they tell you, the, the item goes from station A to station B to station C is not what actually happens when you track the thing. It goes directly from A to C and it really needs to go through B, but it's not convenient. Like the person doesn't <laughs> even want to walk into that office, let's say. And so they just bypass it. What, why do you think that is? That, that, that what they tell you is different from what they tell Amazon? Because at the end of the day, people do what they're incentivized to do, whether they're an employee or a customer. Hmm. and people are going to game the system, right? Mm -hmm. And so Amazon only has so many options, and they don't care about the, the comment. You can have open-ended comments, but they don't read them, and they don't really care. They might read them, but there's nothing that, you know, suggests that they actually care about that. And so of the drop-down, 
which of those is gonna get the customer a free return when they're not warranted a free return, right? The item is defective. Mm. Uh -uh. Well, why is this That's item defective? That's an interesting sort of um, Dan Early, predictably irrational thing that you just brought up there. Yeah. The choices Amazon has designed into the dropdown or the form or whatever for complaining limit your responses, right? Because it's got to yeah. go in one of these six buckets or something like that, right? And, if and it's, sometimes it's like, hey, I don't like the color. I'm sorry. I thought it was a different color. But right. hey, Amazon's. I'm going to have to pay seven bucks to return it, so it's defective. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's blue you know? instead of red, so it's defective. Huh? Right. But, <laughs> so you know, actually, it, and that works out for me because one of the things I negotiate with suppliers is that if I, you know, they got to pay me for every unit that's defective. And so <laughs> on the report, you know, hey, I can prove it. These are defective, so give me some money for this. Right. In e-commerce, as you grow, and, and I know because in uh, different podcasts that, uh, that I run with my ex-co-founder, we interviewed a high-level e-commerce guy. And funding working capital came up as a huge problem because you're buying six months ahead of time let's say right like the, the orders for christmas need to have been placed now right or two months ago you know may june right of this year and that do you get into working capital at all well you know a little bit but not much because at the end of the day you know if you're resourceful enough to have a business that's successful enough to you know warrant you know having processes and employees mm -hmm. probably are resourceful enough to find capital because never in the history of selling online or starting a business or basically the world has it been easier to access capital, at least if you're selling on Amazon. And so when I started, I my business partner and I, he funded his half of the business with his IRA. So he took some money out for that. And I had 0% interest credit cards and I have, you know, so you can, I mean, you can conceivably have a quarter million dollars on, on 0% interest credit cards mm -hmm. as long as you have good credit. Now, not everyone's in that situation. That's my situation. But yeah. Amazon, if you're successful and you're, you know, you're getting paid, they're, they're paying you every month. They'll offer you a loan. Nice. So, okay. Yeah, I have but, not, I have not sold in, uh, in Amazon. Right. So that, that kind of, you know, if you're paying attention and you're not really afraid of debt, I know yeah. a lot of people are and debt obviously is terrible on the personal side, but how are you going to avoid it on the business side? Right. Mm -hmm. No, other people's money is a, <laughs> big, a big money maker for if you've got a proven business model, right? Yeah. Shouldn't go into debt if you haven't got a proven business model. Yeah. And so I have people that get on the phone with me for a strategy session. They're like, Hey, I have access to, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in capital. And I'm like, time out, buddy. Hold on. Let's just make sure that you're going to be able to, to utilize this right. so you can pay it back. And I was like, what are you doing right now? And they tell me, I'm like, all right, this is why I just, you know, and I give them, you know, suggestion, Hey, let's, let's, let's take maybe five of that. <laughs> and Let's, let's prove that you can do this to yourself right. and to me. And then when you feel comfortable, now you can go borrow money from somebody else. Okay. Is there a, is there a size level or revenue point that you find people should be approaching you at before that? Maybe it's just not ready yet. Well, I would, you know, it's, I'm still trying to figure that out because everybody's a little different. When I hit 30, 40, $50,000 a month, I'm like, I'm tired of doing this crap. Let me just get somebody. I, right. My pain threshold for that is low. Again, I'm not a high C. And then there's other, you know, I most of my clients are million dollar sellers, they million dollars to, to four to five. Um, and you know, what's amazing on Amazon because there's leverage built in with using their warehouses and not having to actually touch product. You can literally work from your laptop. There's a lot of leverage built in. You can conceivably, it's very rare, but you can build a, you know, a business up to $4 million by yourself. I have one, mm -hmm. one client that did that, but the problem is you can't manage it. And right. so in her case, $4 million came in 
but she was negative 200,000 by the end of the year. She actually lost money. And so, you know, we're, we're, we, that's a terrible situation to be in. So I, you know, I, if, as soon as you feel the pain, because at the end of the day, let me just address this. What a lot of people think, and I don't know where this lie originated. I think it's, you know, the internet marketing world hmm. somewhere you have this belief. A lot of people do that more money is going to equal more freedom at some point. Yeah. Right? Like all of a sudden you're going to magically be able to buy your time. Well, technically you can't, you got to learn the skills to be able to do that. So more money and more sales doesn't equal more freedom. What really equals more freedom is having more time. Right. <laughs> and so you can, you can solve that equation right now. I mean, if you have enough money to pay, you know, $600 a month for somebody, you, you can't solve that now. And you can start getting in the habit of, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to now steer this ship more effectively because someone's going to handle most of the medi mediocre things in my business, right? The, 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 those tasks. And, that's how you solve the more money equals more freedom. You know, the, the thing is, you cannot grow if you don't have the freedom anyway. So I, I think, and, and on that note, any business, especially an e-com business, always has cash flow limitations. Mm -hmm. When are you going to pay yourself? Like, are you going to work to, like, are you going to do it? So what I did the first year is I worked like all the time. I got paid nothing. Yeah. And, and I, don't I don't teach people to do that because I don't, I, looking back, I'm like, I wish I would have taken something. And you, you know, as long as you can afford, you know, 300, 400, $600, you can get somebody that's, that's good enough to help free you up, to help you steer the ship, which means you're going to get better results in the long run and get to the point where you're going to start taking more money faster. So I, you know, basically I just say, whenever you're frustrated, start to look, you know, at, at, at hiring. And when you do hire, just start with the things that are frustrating. The easiest thing to get rid of is the stuff that's, well, the easiest thing to explain to somebody. Awesome. Right? Yeah. Last question. Uh, best business book for tech founders who are about to run into the bumpy road of scaling. Oh my goodness. There's, I've, I've read so many. Um, well, I, you know, oh man, you can you try to narrow me down to one, aren't you? Give two or three if you want. Sure. Traction is, is, is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. All right. Traction. You have to, you have to read traction. Okay. Awesome. But, but I'll tell you what really made a big difference to me. So tra I understand traction. Traction is about how you, you know, get processes and make things work for, for building a team. But if you don't have a team, mm. you, you know, there's a lot of things you can screw up when you go try to build a team. If you're like me, when I started, I was a high D, high driver. I just drove people crazy. Yeah, because you'll yeah. change direction. All the time. This morning. Hi. <laughs> New initiative. Let's, let's unpack this now. Oh, wait. <laughs> it's Wednesday now. We're going to do this. Yeah. And so understanding that, you know, you need people, you need the good people, like not, you don't need somebody that can come in and push buttons. You can find those anywhere. You need somebody that's a critical thinker. It's a creative problem solver above everything else, because no matter what industry you're in, things are changing, right? I recommend hiring for attitude. That yes. book literally changed my life because that was the last piece that I actually got right. Mm -hmm. I would hire people and I'm, I'm going to hire a bunch and find the one that works, right? <laughs> well, hiring for attitude helps you at least have a process in place so you can have better odds. But the one that really changed how I deal with people was Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. Okay. I live, that's, I mean, that one's good for anything, but if you apply that to your business, I can't, you'll never be the same. Never be the same. I mean, once the one time, this is before I even read the book. This is one of the reasons I liked it because I already have a sense of this um, in me. But, you know, I had a business partner. I came home, it was before I was able to come home from my corporate job. And our sales were like $1,000 more than they were the day, the, the day previous, right? The day closed the previous, we're at a thousand dollars more. It's only five o'clock. And I'm like, well, things are going really good today. But then I thought, oh crap, there's a problem. And I dug into it. And one of our, one of our VAs gave away 
um, you know, for a customer service issue, give somebody a free coupon to get a replacement, but that coupon was showing on the listing. Uh, if somebody came to the listing, they were able to see, oh, we can get this for free. And I don't I think it was like 800 units or something. I don't know. It was a lot of, a lot of units that eventually went out because <laughs> of that. And I was upset because one of the things that I told this person at the very beginning was, hey, we're not going to make this mistake. If you ever make this mistake because I've addressed this already, you're fired. <laughs> My business partner was like, you are not firing this guy. That's your fault. And I'm like, no, it's not my fault. I told him. And he's like, no, no, no. You let it happen. It's your fault. And those are very painful. Those are crucial conversations. You have your business partner where, you know, you're not, you're not happy. Yeah. (laughs) But he was right. Adam. (laughs) Yep. But he was right. Because what I did is I realized, I mean, if I was, if I were to, you know, blame the guy for making a mistake, which is human and never taking responsibility that I let it happen, then I'd still have that same problem reoccurring in my business. I have to keep going over, you know, cycling through people. But I, mean, I fixed yeah, the root cause. Somehow there could have been a process to make that coupon expire after an hour or delete yep. itself after one use or something. There's or something. have somebody check the listing every hour or something to make sure that uh, totally. And it so I, the right way. Right. Yeah, I put something in place that that literally has not happened again. And it Good won't. <laughs> and it won't. <laughs> awesome. Well, Matt, that's, that's the power of extreme ownership. When you understand mm-hmm. that everything that's, it's, that happens is, is basically your fault, good or bad. Mm-hmm. That actually puts you in control. It puts you in a, in a seat of power to change right. things. Right. Responsibility leads to control. Well, this has been Matt Daniel from Hello Process. Great name. Love it. And if you are looking to expand your business, upgrade, and stop plateauing, stop overwhelm, especially with your calendar and that, you should be talking to Matt. Thanks for being here today, Matt. Thank you, Jason, for having me. Yeah.